Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, it's episode 192. Today is February 4th, 2021, and this is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. What is up, guys? How are you? Hey, man. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, We got an excellent news story uh, for you, and we're tackling some questions from the community. Uh, But we're going to be talking about Microsoft patenting this uh, chatbot technology to revive dead loved ones. Um, And you know what? We're back after uh, a week of uh, technical difficulties. I had a family emergency. Um, So apologies about no pod last week, but we're back. you know, it's just just two dudes putting on a podcast, two two white dudes putting on a podcast together. So Yeehaw, uh, across the internet, you know, we don't have an extended support system for uh, for this stuff. So when one of us misses the show, it's a kind of it's a, it's a little difficult to find a replacement. Anyway, uh, we <laughs> but first we got some programming notes here. I want I want to mention this because I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, virtual twenty twenty one international symposium on human factors in healthcare. Uh, Sorry, human factors and ergonomics in healthcare. Registrations open now. Uh, we brought you coverage of this um, for a couple years. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to provide you some this time. Uh, not sure yet. We're still working on our plans. Uh, but anyway, aside from that, I, I got to know what's going on in Blake's world because it's been two weeks since we talked. I know. It feels like it's been longer than that. Um, but really, man, the biggest thing going on in my world is I feel like I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how Streamlabs worked last weekend uh, after like my computer finally turned on on Sunday. So that was a lot of fun to kind of go through and try and make some of this stuff. But as you know, pulling back the curtain, none of that really worked out today. Um, but nonetheless, the one thing that I found kind of crazy the other day, because I've, I've really gotten into wanting to be able to kind of produce my own covers of different music and something I didn't know existed or that bands put out into the ether for you to be able to like purchase kind of cheaply is like album stems. So actually the, the production recorded basically separate pieces of an arrangement. So think of like a, for in my case, like a song I really want to do a cover of is a song called Loon where I want to do like the drums, vocals and guitar. Um, and I was able to actually purchase the album stem for stem from which it came from. So I can like put that in my little Logic X Pro DAW and cut out different parts of the music, speed up or slow down parts that I'm trying to learn on drums or on guitar and like put like different little kind of uh, production spins on stuff inside of okay. Logic that kind of help you learn different um, kind of like different musical notes and stuff like that. So it's been yeah. really cool that again, like although Although it's kind of like sucked being so isolated from a lot of COVID stuff, but it's something I wouldn't have gotten into because I wouldn't have gotten back into playing a lot of music without kind of the, the force being back at home thing. But it's been kind of a fun thing to do over the weekends and throughout the week. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you. So I forgive my ignorance here, uh, but the the stems, those are, are those just like the raw tracks of each of the individual instruments and the vocals and all that stuff? Exactly, yeah. So it's the raw tracks, and in some instances, you can actually get some of the effects that are used on top of them um, so that you can actually, like, um, you know, separate out what was used on top of a vocal, for instance. But, yeah, album stem in its basic form is just, like, you know, a song stripped into its different sections, so drums, bass, guitar, vocals if there was multiple guitars you get that too that's cool 
can I ask how much different in price it is from like an actual album? Yeah. Because in the album, it's all mixed together, right? Yeah, it's all mixed together. So what did I pay? So the album for this particular one is like probably twelve ninety nine or something like that. Or like nine ninety nine, and then all the album stems was like thirty bucks for the entire album. Okay, so it's completely reasonable. This is yeah. Is this how people do things like remixes? I actually don't know because I'm sure that you can rip a lot of this stuff. Um, but if you want to do it in a way that makes it so you have full control, buying album stems is probably the best bet that you can mm-hmm. even do that. Uh, but that's cool. Again, man. I didn't really know that that was a thing, or that people sold their album stems. I thought that was something you like coveted and hid from everybody. Uh, right. But luckily, yeah, no, in my I, case, it's not. I didn't know that either, and I'm glad you shared that with me because that's uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fun time, man. It's a fun time. But how's everything going in your world? Oh, you know, uh, things are going. Um, I don't know if you've been keeping up with this whole GameStop saga. <laughs> <laughs> For anybody who's listening that hasn't heard of it, can you give us a breakdown of what you think is going on? Uh, yeah, the internet um, thought they could out outsmart Wall Street, um, you know, and they basically all uh, all rallied behind GameStop, um, which, by a lot of people's measure, is a failing business. Um, you know, there's a lot of reason to not think that. There's, um, you know, things are. Things are turning around in the future for sure. Um, but a group on Reddit kind of hopped on this bandwagon, myself included. Um, you know, we could we could almost use this as the it came from Reddit section. <laughs> uh, but the the interesting thing here is that, um, you know, the group on Reddit started following it and they jumped on it. And more and more people started becoming aware of this. And as this happened, um, a lot of people surged onto this stock and the stock price soared um and there were some unique uh circumstances around this specific stock where it has been shorted more shares than are available which means at some point the people who shorted the stock are going to have to pay everything back and so everyone was like if we just hold on to this then you know we'll get a lot of money because we could we get to set the price oh Um, that okay this makes a lot more sense now i kind of understanding the the concept that's behind it all so, so what ended up happening is that people saw that high number and uh, they sold and they started selling. And then as soon as there started becoming this like huge momentum, um, there a couple things happened that really killed it. So you had Robinhood, which is an app that we recommended a couple uh, weeks ago on the show, which I can definitively say, don't do it now. Um, they started re- limiting the sale of uh, the stock and... Um, you know, there's some there's some linkages behind the scenes with uh, some of the brokers and some of the money makers and market makers and um, the people who borrow the stock. So it's like all it seems a little conspiracy theory ish to of me, but you know, like there. there's there's some ties and and I think what ended up happening is that just Robinhood didn't have enough money to 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 cover the shorts or to, sorry to cover the stock that people wanted to buy, um, and so they kind of limited it and everyone was freaking out and it killed the momentum of it yeah and so over the last over the last week it's kind of dropped uh a lot um and you know like i like i said myself included i i was in on it and um once i realized it wasn't bouncing back up i kind of cashed out and put it into another thing um you know and i i can't i'm not a financial advisor gotta say that but um it's kind of crazy to watch this whole saga unfold and um you know 
it's just a it's it, it's an interesting time. Made some money, but like this whole thing is <laughs> like. Well, I mean, I was talking with Frank a couple weeks ago, uh, who was on the show with us, um, and and you know we were talking about stocks, and we've been talking since about stocks, and he got in on this thing too, and uh, we've been kind of sharing um, you know our thoughts on it and like exit strategies and all that stuff, um, and and uh, it's been a lot of fun to get into the hobby, and then you know this this whole. I don't know the whole thing that happened with GameStop specifically. Um, it was romanticized, and people were uh, people were getting greedy, uh, myself included. I like you know I, I thought, well, wh- how great would it be if I could turn you know uh, a certain amount of money into something that's like twenty times that? That's yeah, insane. something astronomical. Yeah. Um, and you know it's like, well, if I just keep holding on, if I just keep holding on, but if I sold at point you know then i would have a lot more money at this point um and so it's 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 one of those things where uh i've learned a lesson from this i didn't actually lose any money which is thankful i got in early enough to where the amount that i spent on it wasn't ever really in jeopardy i could see it coming from a mile away and i can cash out for some profit and um you know the, the lesson i learned was kind of setting up some of these limits to where after it hits a certain high if it drops a certain percentage then just get out don't worry about it because um you know that way i at least secure some uh you know some capital for for uh some some profit off of it basically you know and i i, yeah. I started um really getting into uh sort of when to buy and when to sell and I, like I said, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons from this, and I hope a lot of people did too, right? I know there are people, Blake, there are people that got you know in right at the peak of the hike. They were like, oh, it's 320 That's a deal. It's going to go up to like $5,000. They bought in at 320 and they held on to it, and now I think at the end of today, it was something like 50 or 60 Wow. Um, Yikes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Goodbye so, hype like, train. That's nuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, like it's um it's sad to watch. Uh and so like, yeah, it's 5350 right now after hours. 5350. Uh, That's wild. I remember when uh-huh. it was that like what? What was this? 2 weeks ago that we talked about all this stuff? Yeah. That's nuts, and, dude. That was about the price when we talked about it 2 weeks ago. Yeah. Um and you know, off offline off the show. And uh yeah, man, it's just insane to watch this whole thing play out because like yesterday even it was uh I think let, let's see here. Monday it was up to two hundred twenty-seven dollars still, you wow, know. And, and you just think about four days, and it's gone down, uh, you know, to a quarter of the price. So, you know, I I'm upset. My son's upset about the price. I don't know if you can hear him in the background. <laughs> Perfection. <laughs> that there could it is. have come in at a better time. That's amazing. Anyway, yeah, that's what's been going on in my world. I I just been I've been fascinated by this man, like, and I. You know, it's it's so weird to to find yourself falling for some of these internet. Uh, I, I'm going to call them conspiracy theories, right? People are comparing it to like QAnon and how people get sucked up into this whole thing. And um, again, like my financial situation was never really at risk, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I just got to set some rules and follow them, and don't like get caught up in the greed or anything like that aspect of, of one of these bubbles. Um, because if I had played it smarter, if I had played my $20 rule, you know, I, I would have walked away with a lot more money than I did. Um, again, not a financial advisor, uh, but you know, learn, learn what you're comfortable with in terms of risk and, uh, learn when to sell and when to buy. And, you know, don't, don't, uh, 
<laughs> don't tank your life savings. That's that's the most important part. That only, is, yeah, that's super uh, important takeaway for sure. Uh, that, only yeah, bet what you're willing to risk. Um, yeah, and like kind of so. be smart about it for sure. Well, we're going to jump into this next part of the show. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors news. This is where we talk about anything related to the field of Human Factors. This could be medical, privacy, security, robotics, AI. You name it. As long as it relates to the field of Human Factors, it's fair game for Blake and I to sit here and talk about on the show. Uh, Blake, what do we got up first this week? All right, so up first this week, and I think up only this week, we've got Microsoft patenting chatbot technology to revived dead loved ones. So Microsoft has been granted a patent that would allow the company to make a chatbot using the personal information of deceased people. The patent describes creating a bot based on the images, voice data, social media posts, electronic messages, and more personal information. The specific person may also correspond to oneself. So for example... The user creating or training the chatbot, Microsoft describes, is implying that living users could train a digital replacement in the event of their death. That's mind-blowing. Microsoft has even included the notion of 2D or 3D models of specific people being generated via images and depth information or even video data. Like this. The idea that you would be able to speak to a simulation of someone who has passed on in the future is not new. Other tech companies have tried to use digital data to recreate loved ones who have passed on. But it seems like Microsoft's got the patent for the chatbot. This is way more mind-blowing than I expected. And I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. Just the, the sci-fi nature of life seems to come truer and truer the older that I get. Yeah, it's, um, we've, we've talked about something similar before on the show. Um, I think... It was probably like a year or two ago where there was a chat bot. And I think, you know, we have we have some points to make about that specific one um, to remind everyone. It was a um, let's see. It was a company called Luca uh, where they used 8000 lines of text messages um, to basically uh, mimic somewhat the, the way somebody spoke. Right. And, and what ended up happening in that case, um, you know, the person who created it, who lost their friend, uh, you know, they, they, they claimed it was like a, sh- a shadow of a person. Um, you know, the, the lines were there. Um, but it, it, it kind of hit that uncanny Valley, uh, you know, from, from that perspective, but this, what we're looking at here with Microsoft, this is, this is interesting because it feels like more to me. This is a chat bot that is using, um, a, a, a sort of, aggregate of data about somebody right they mentioned 2d 3d models by images and depth information video data they're also using uh voice data social media posts electronic messages all this stuff um aggregating you know the other one was just used off of text messages this one is aggregating a bunch of different points of information to recreate digitally someone that has passed on and this reminds me so much of that black mirror episode Oh yeah, you're totally right, man. Yeah. It reminds me. Yeah, that's a really good analog for this for sure. It's just nuts to to think about like using social media posts along with, uh, like you know, voice data and electronic messages. Because I don't know. I wonder how close that would feel to other people that know the person, um, depending on like how they use social media or like if they kind of present a different personality depending on like the social media account they're using. 
So I feel like it could give like a mixed result depending on how it all works together. Because you're you're right, it does give more information, but it is is it genuine enough information to create like a simulation of somebody basically. Um, right. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find that episode. I don't I just don't remember what it was. Uh but it it was an episode where basically this exact thing happened. Uh somebody died and and somebody authorized permission to use a bunch of different data points um to recreate this person in a like uh basically an android, right? So they were talking the way this person talked. Um they were, you know, making jokes that were inside jokes to the other person. There there were, you know, a lot of things going on. Um, and it was, you know, it hit that uncanny valley at some point. So, um, I, I just think this is, uh, man, I don't know. Can we talk about ethics here? (laughs) Cause, uh, yeah, like I'd imagine it's one thing if, you know, somebody's dead and, and then you are able to, um, like who owns this data once you die? Is it, you know, if Microsoft owned your stuff and you use a Hotmail account or a Gmail or sorry, not your Gmail, uh, uh, Outlook account, um, you know, can't can somebody else authorize that because Microsoft technically owns that data? And, you know, I don't know, man, like your gaming history on Xbox, like they have a lot of stuff on you. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, down <laughs> to the patterns in which you that. would play a game. Yeah. Like. You know, they they could use all that to to infer something about you. Uh, big data is is scary, um, but yeah, I, we can talk about ethics from two perspectives. Like, who owns that data once you die? And then we can talk about the perspective of, okay, I give them the permission to use my data because I'm actually training my my replacement, and um, you know, like that's a whole other conversation. So let's have let's have the ethics conversation first. Uh, Blake, is this ethical? I don't know. I mean, if you so if you're able to consent and get like if you were able to train your own AI bot, or if you felt like that this concept, like if it, if it was presented to you, like you know, on a website or in a webinar or whatever, and you agreed with the idea, sure. But I would I would want to know the timeline and who owns the stuff at the end of it. Like, is it does does my family own it? And so they like they're the only ones that can give out access to it. Does Microsoft end up getting to keep some kind of carbon copy almost of this stuff sitting around somewhere from you know their systems to learn and get better from? I would um, absolutely think that that would be the case. Oh, they'd have to because that, that's the only way this is going to get so good that it feels realistic. That's yeah. my, my ignorant perspective. Um, the other thing that I worry about, and I, if this is outside of the ethics line, let me know. But I. I also worry about the concern of, I get the idea of closure, right? So if somebody dies, you want to have like a conversation with a chat bot, but does it, do you have to put a cap on that? Do you just let this thing exist forever and could basically change the course of somebody's life because they're never able to separate from that person they lost? And so they're always reliant on this, this service that back to the ethics thing like how how does this work from a monetary standpoint? Is this like a service mm-hmm. you have to subscribe to to use? Is this a one time oh, thing? So it's just yeah. like there's all of these there's money making aspects of it to that make me not I don't know any other way to say this don't make me feel good on the inside. Um, I think it's a really cool concept and for you know things like being able to recreate um, your loved one or even past figures that are like really big big in the world in terms of like their their intellect or their 
kind of con- contribution to society. That could it could ha- be awesome and have a lot of potential, but the ethics of it, I'm very unsure of and kind of wary of at the at this point. And I don't, I'm not pointing that finger at Microsoft. I just think the idea as a whole always has the potential to be exploited or used in a way that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from the ethics standpoint. But right. what do you think, Nick? Uh, to me, this has a lot of um, similarity with the issue with uh, facial recognition software. Um, you know, I, I think we are at a point right now where, as a society, this idea is still new enough, and the implications of this technology are still widely unknown. Uh, and oh, and yeah. so, the fact that we can doesn't mean we should. Uh, and, and I think that is absolutely true for both things like facial recognition and um, carrying on somebody's life after they're dead through the use of a chatbot or even a 3D model that uses your voice and likeness. Um, now, all that being said, if somebody right, gives the okay, right? Like, let's say I am on this podcast and I give Microsoft, I'm not, but I give Microsoft, you know, the okay, hey, you can use my likeness. Um, don't show my family. You can use it for research purposes. Um, you know, and, and I will agree to train it. Like this is me actually agreeing, right? So then it's, it's completely fine. Um, and, and someone's going to take this out of context. I know, but like, but I mean, could you imagine that? Like instead of organ transplant, it's like check the box to have your data be used so that we can create things like this. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, it's kind of nuts, right? That's so nuts. Um, Let's can we move on to the training of it? Because I kind of was getting into that transition there anyway. But Let's the go. idea of training your own chatbot about like what you would and wouldn't say. Like, how would that work? Because you wouldn't you don't even know what you're gonna say a lot of the time in a situation, right? Like, how many times have you been in this situation, Blake? You're sitting there and someone goes, Hey, what would you say if this happened? And you're like, I don't know, it hasn't happened to me. Have you, have you ever had that happen to you before? Yep. You or have I have that, to exactly. like think of it to even try and concoct right. an answer. Right. Um, right. And so it's like, how how can you prepare for something that you yourself don't know how you'll react? And how can you better train an AI to do it for you um, in a situation that is novel? Right. So like, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I, I can see situations where it's like, hey, what would happen if somebody came up to you and said, do you want a million dollars? Like, yes. What's the, what's the catch, right? Like you, you would ask what the catch is and then what's the condition. And then, you know, if the condition was reasonable, you would get the million dollars. And I would imagine you could play some hypothetical games like that with your AI um, and see if they can come up with a similar answer. I can also see them um, coding up intentionally wrong answers that as you're talking with them, as you're training with them, they are pro like they know it's wrong and they they send it out in the world hoping that you'll catch it and if you do then it's a it's a positive reinforcement for that that is the incorrect behavior you know what i mean yeah. so there's like some interesting data collection pieces of it too and then how would that work would you just chat with it on your phone be like hey nick what's up hey nick what's up you know it's like <laughs> i just said that <laughs> that would be like, so insane like, uh, I know, although man. I much prefer the phone concept than like seeing a 2D or 3D rendering of myself and trying to talk to that. So I, I would talk to the phone all day and I would probably get a kick out of it, but I'd, I would likely not be feeding it the correct information. I would just be laughing at it like I do when I argue with Siri. 
Um, but it, like even the concept that you brought up of like in that situation of the one million dollars thing, you know, right. like that those traditional anchoring theories that uh, Kahneman and Traversky put forth that basically like how we think about decision making. But how wild is it that you, we would have to program that underlying decision logic that we understand about human psychology to a, to a chatbot for it to be able to make those weighted decisions in a logical way and then spin on that, even when those like maxims of decision-making psychology, you still have variation depending on the person. So you and I make decisions widely differently, I'm sure, on different topics depending on whatever it is. No, so, we're the same person, Blake. Actually, we're the yeah. same chatbot. We're chatting yeah. with each other. Yeah, I'm I don't know if you know this. Yeah, I'm the 2D, <laughs> you're the 3D one. That's what happened. But but I don't know. It's just there's so much interesting just programming and software logic that has to be in place for like I don't I don't know any other way to put this and this feels crude, but like the blank chatbot that you start with, that thing is intense as it is. And I, then once so, you start adding all the different things into it. So I don't think actually that part might be as difficult as you might imagine, right? Humans in nature operate very similarly in certain situations. And so I'd imagine that there's some template that they use. And then, you know, it's it's uh, just minor preferences here or there that help define that chatbot. And, you know, it's almost like a series of maybe a thousand boxes that they check. But the underlying processing, the underlying, um, I guess, program of this thing would be the same. And that's kind of how I'm thinking of it. It's like, you know, they they derive the thousand checkboxes by things that you say, the things that you do, the things that, uh, the data that they get from you. Um, and I'm, I'm simplifying with a thousand checkboxes. I think it's probably more like a hundred thousand checkboxes or a million yeah. checkboxes. But, uh, you know, just to put it in scale, right? Because, I mean, you think about a million checkboxes, that seems like a lot. But then think about all the underlying code that's also going on that is helping define what that uh, chatbot is in the first place. And it's it's a template that uses that input data. Um, you know, and I, I'd imagine you can get pretty specific, right? And I, I always wonder, I don't think you'll ever get to the same fidelity of a human. Um, would it pass the Turing test? And then... Yeah. I'd imagine it could with other people that don't know you, but then could it pass that same test with somebody that you know, right? Yeah, there's the potential that I think it could because it's almost like like if this is even close to how it really functions because I, I, I just don't understand the underlying technology well enough to say 100% this makes sense. But if if it really is like you kind of get this blank starting point and basically it's it's you giving inputs to the system that's developing the nuance so developing the the you aspect of the chatbot then yeah i I could i would assume that you know if you put it in front of my mom and there was like a humor aspect to it that it probably could pull off answering things the way that i would in like a snarky way or something for specific topics Um, so i think it could fool some people that you're close to uh, for sure Or or it would be an interesting test now would it like fool everyone i don't know I, I'm not sure because I at the end of the day, I, I think there's like there's nuance that comes with it that I don't know how a chat system or I don't understand how it would pick up on some of those things. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would. It would be so fun to train my own chatbot, though. 
Oh man, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, like I don't know, I'm still like really wary of it, right? And then I'd be like, uh, shut it off as soon as I'm gone because I don't want anybody else messing with this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird concept, right? Because you you could basically be creating a really biased version of yourself for for mm-hmm. better or worse to present to somebody you think is going to use this, right? right. Um, like I I don't know. Yeah, I would never do that. Yeah, <laughs> like. I don't know how to have that conversation, right? Because, like, potentially there's people you know in your life, like, you're not necessarily a bad person, but you've done things you're not you're not proud of and you wouldn't tell them. Yeah. Um, so maybe in that instance it's enough. And I don't know. It's a, it's a really complicated subject. Like, the ethics part, the the how does the technology work itself, and then the what, what the end product ends up being just what could blow my mind because it could be – anything you want it to be um just depending on the input data you're giving it yeah it's it's uh it's kind of nuts just to think about the problem space and and uh what the implications are um i you know i don't really have a whole lot more to say on this i feel like i'm just spinning my wheels here um this was a good story do you have anything else any last any last words on this one no, I don't. Get- I think it's incredible, though, that it's patented now because we've we've seen it come up in a couple of different formats. But for Microsoft to take a hold of it, that makes me think that at least by the time that you and I are old, we'll see some renditions of this somewhere. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much to our Patreon patrons for choosing this story this week. Uh, you know what? Our patrons choose our story every week. And thank you to our friends over at The Independent for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post links to the original articles in our Slack as we find them. So join us over there for more discussion. And there's a lot more over there, too, that we don't talk about on the show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast strives to bring you the best in Human Factors chatter every week. We pack news, interviews, reviews, and overall fun conversations into each and every product that we put our seal of approval on. But we can't do it without you. You see, the Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running this show come from the listeners. That's why we're giving back to our supporters on Patreon, now more than ever. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like 24-7 access to our exclusive Human Factors Cast Slack channel, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Cast Infinite, a Patreon-only podcast where the topic is human factors, etc. We're always updating our rewards, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you all, and remember... It depends. All right. And we are back. Uh, so before we get into this next part of the show uh, that, w- that we call the It Came From, I just want to remind everybody that if you're watching, listening, whatever, um, we are uh, we, we got a couple things going on here. So let me first say, if you're listening to the show, we're back on YouTube. Um, it's a thing that we're trying out. Uh, we're trying it this week. We're trying it next week. Uh, we're back on. We're, you'll get the full... You'll get the full Human Factors cast experience. We're actually doing a like pre-show and a little bit of a post-show on it. Um, you're you're getting the whole raw, nitty-gritty. You're not getting the polished show. So if you're interested in that type of thing, you want to know what's going on behind the scenes, how this works, um, even get in on chat action. We'll bring in any chats that happen uh, as we're talking on the show. So that's fun. Uh, yeah, we're back on YouTube. Again, it's not going to be like the polished stuff like we used to put out. Um, but it's, it's going to be something. <laughs> we'll say that. 
it'll adapt over time. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, so so we're looking to, uh, you know, bottom line, we're just looking to connect with our community a little bit more. Uh, and we feel like we can do that and grow our community as well by, um, you know, making sure that we make an effort to be visible and uh, be on all the platforms. So uh, I want to mention that we also have Human Factors Minute that's not mentioned in the Patreon commercial. So if you're listening and want to check that out, it's a little bite size um a little bite-sized chunk of human factors every week directly to your RSS feed. Uh, and we love that. So, um, you know what, if you're also a Patreon, they choose the news like I alluded to. So do that. Anyway, <laughs> let's go ahead and switch gears here and, uh, get into this next part of the show. It came from, it came from, it came from Slack. This is, uh, or not Slack. This is Reddit this week. I got it in the show notes wrong. Anyway, this is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. And today uh, we got two uh, we got two little Reddit things here for you. Uh, Blake, which one do you want to do first? Oh, let's start with the distributed teams. I think that's pretty sick. All right. So this one is by user uh, Rando Rando Atrippy. Rando Atropy. This is from the user experience subreddit, but it's relevant to human factors. Feedback on distributed teams. Uh, for those of you who work on distributed teams, how are team members seeking feedback from each other on designs or if you're human factors, any any sort of product ideas? Uh, more importantly, how is your team ensuring this team first mindset, especially when everyone is working on something different? Blake, do you work on any distributed teams in the time of COVID? And how do you provide feedback or get feedback from others? Yeah. So for me, I did not work in a distributed team until COVID. So it's like a forced function. Um, and I've definitely learned a couple of things. The one thing I wanted to throw at you, Nick, because I don't necessarily know what this this phrase means. So it, yeah. says, it says in here, more importantly, how is your team ensuring that this team first mindset, especially when everyone's working on something different? Is that Do you think that's trying to get at like, no matter if you're not working on the same project or product or not, you still like take the time to give feedback or to work with other teams? I see that more of a... Um you know, our, our success is measured by the success of the team and not necessarily by the individual. And so, like, if, if you are a human factors practitioner working with a web coder and working with a designer, um, you know, how do you ensure that you all together work effectively as a team? That's kind of how I'm reading it anyway. Gotcha. Honestly, the biggest thing has just been over communication from my perspective so being if it if you're not able to set up meetings like there's not time to one for for my teams it was taking a reassessment of that like trying to find when they're especially from me as a designer and developer perspective like finding and putting in like set times that i was definitely working but setting checkpoints probably a couple times a week to check in with my teams on either my progress questions i had and make it consistent. It didn't mean it had to be, you know, an hour or 45 minutes. It could be, you know, 30 minute check-ins unless we were doing something collaborative. But for me, a lot of this, like making sure that we're in sync and giving each other feedback that's meaningful, it was just checking in and being honest when like you hit a, hit a wall and not really just, you know, letting the fact you're not sitting in an office or an environment that you're usually in kind of be a barrier. 
And also, I I reached out to a bunch of people through Design Lab that I that I mentor courses for, and asked them because I know people people that work at that company are already distributed. I know a lot of mentors already had distributed jobs, and so that that was kind of their feedback to me. It's just like over communicate through teams, like be very thorough in the messages you put together and thoughtful about the questions that you're asking, and kind of don't be afraid just to set up quick calls and check ins, um, even if it's five minutes. So that was kind of my way of adapting to this need for a distributed team. Um, but Nick, what do you, you have a remote job already. So what yeah. kind of like practices were you able to pull on? So let me, let me quickly just recap my history here. So a year ago, I was on a team that we worked uh, together in the same space with one member who was remote. And we had a weekly meeting where we would kind of discuss things. But being, conven- you know, it was convenient that everybody was in the same building before COVID times. Um, cause then you could just run something by them, walk over to their office, run something by them. Um, I left that for another position where it was completely remote. And in this position, I worked uh, closely with a couple individuals who, um, I trusted a lot. And so, you know, a lot of stuff just got done through basic chat. Um, and it was a lot of what you were saying there, Blake. It was, it was the over communication, um, you know, I had, I had a couple other people in, in a similar role to myself that I could bounce ideas off of. Um, and in terms of getting feedback from others, it was very much regularly scheduled uh, things that were, you know, once a week, twice a week. Um, you produce something, you give it to the team and everyone provides feedback in the, you know, in, in, in the meeting, but then also alone and separately through something like, you know, Microsoft's teams or something there there's like the um you know you can collaborate on a certain document and you can leave comments for other people and so um it, it is all about that communication aspect and now now i'm in another position where you know I'm, I'm working on a team where i'm the only human factors person on the team uh i'm working with a designer a, 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 a web developer and um project leader and all that stuff and so it's it's a little different now um especially because not only do i have to evangelize what i do and what i'm good for um, I have to communicate with that team. And what we've done is we've set up a daily recurring meeting uh, for 15 minutes just to say, hey, what did we work on yesterday? What did we work on today? Uh, w- you know, what, what's any impediments that we're facing? And kind of like a, um, you know, like a scrum meeting. It's, it's literally just a stand up every day. And that's been especially helpful um, because I'm the only West Coast person on that team. Everyone else is on the East Coast. And so it's, it's very much, an, uh, you know, a group effort to make sure that we're all uh, talking together, we're all coordinated, um, you know, and if there's ever anything that I need from the other team members in terms of feedback, I make sure I send it out with as much detail as I can, um, kind of explaining, like I said, I'm the only human factor person, so I, I explain the context of what it is, and I explain exactly what I'm looking for in terms of feedback, and that's been really helpful because then the people that do look it over and, and provide a review on it are able to, um, you know, provide that feedback in a way that's meaningful to me. So if you are looking for feedback from others, um, contextualize it and specify exactly what it is you're looking for in terms of feedback. Um, you know, you don't want to say, hey, uh, what do you think about this design? And then they come back and say, uh, do this, that, the other thing. And I was like, oh, well, actually, I was just looking for feedback on the general concept and not necessarily the button placement. But OK, um, you know, and, and likewise, if someone asks you for feedback, 
clarify with them. Hey, what's the context of this? What type of specific feedback are you looking for? That way I make sure you don't waste anybody's time. You don't waste your time doing something that they don't want. Um, it is all about the communication aspect though. Blake, thank you for taking that from me. I'm just kidding. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the biggest tip I got from people that work remotely. The one other thing I want to throw out here, cause it's something I ran into today and I super encourage you if you don't work in a environment, even if it's remote, that doesn't allow you to use a lot of these like powerful, powerful UX tools that have cloud components to them. Like being able to share code directly from a prototype you create or share online, you know, design systems that you create or collaborate and use some of the in-browser or in-app or in-cloud app, um, you know, commenting tools. Use the tools that you have to your advantage because I think a lot of the modern UX design tools, they're really made to support collaborative and distributed work. So use what you have at your disposal as you're able to. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to get into this next one here. Any last thoughts, Blake, before we move on? Have at it, man. Let's go. Communicate. All right. This next one here is also from the user experience subreddit. Again, we're going to frame this from the UX perspective. It's very simple. This one is from uh, user deleted. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> Some person How do you... who didn't want this out there anymore. How do you collaborate with non-designers or non-human factors people? How do you do it? You, you, you don't. Why would you do that? This is making sense. Okay. No. So, I mean, give me something this, better than that. This one's interesting because I, I I would I wish there was more context here cuz I would love to know like where that's coming from or it's like they're trying to figure out how to communicate with a specific type of person or is it like yeah, presenting designs to-, to PMs or whatever it might be. Um ultimately, and I'm going to take this one from I'm going to steal kind of a concept that Elise taught me. If you've been on the, if you've listened to the show before, we've had Elise on the show a number of times. Definitely a great human factors and medical human factors kind of expert, if you will. Um, but she is really big on this thing of understanding somebody else's communication style, and that has been immensely helpful. So it's there's no real great pointers I have for how to do this, but it does take some time from being willing to learn how somebody thinks how they best receive feedback and how they ultimately communicate with you best. So sometimes it just takes a little bit of time. I think what Nick mentioned in the last uh, feedback on distributed teams, Reddit post um, about basically putting context forward to somebody. I think that can really, really help somebody who's not a designer or not a human factors person understand the level of information you're looking for back from them and with that context, they can kind of feel free to like roam within within the box or the realm that they're comfortable in. So ultimately, it's, it's just kind of getting to know your teammates and sometimes asking the blunt questions of how do you receive feedback or how do you typically work with people best? Um, but Nick, so how do you deal with like communicating with people that don't understand or don't necessarily come from your profession? Man, I feel like I kind of answered this in the other question, <laughs> but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll reiterate and I will elaborate. So... Again, like we have um, a, a, a daily meeting where we talk about what we're doing. Uh, I make sure to try my best during those meetings to communicate uh, the why. Um, and, and I think that goes a long way for explaining the sort of painstaking efforts that I take to do things um, and capture data in a certain way. I think explaining the why um, kind of ropes them in on the, you know, it, it kind of lets them see behind the curtain 
um, and and kind of uh, highlights the importance of what you're doing if you explain the why, right? Why are you collecting time on task? Well, I'm actually collecting time on task to see uh, how effective they are at, you know, getting to this specific thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, hey, uh, I'm going to have one of you guys watch this usability test with me, but I don't want you to talk until I tell you to. Well, <laughs> why am I not having you talk? It's because I want to watch them struggle. I want, I want this one. to... I really want this to, you know, um, for anybody else who watches this video, I want them to really understand that this is a hard thing for users to do. Um, and so that's, that's you know, explaining the why. Um, and then in terms of, um, you know, actually collaboration, right? So that's communication piece. Um, and, and then there's the whole collaboration piece as well. There's, there's you know, I have done the research and I've, I've uh, come up with these results and now I need to pass it over to you, the designer, to implement these things uh, in a way that is going to make sense. And um, I think gentle prods is best to start off with and say, hey, what, what would happen if, you know, uh, instead of, I think this should go there. Say, hey, what would happen if we put that there instead? Um, and that's just, it, it is a communication style thing. But, you know, I like to lead with the gentle nudges and help them get to that conclusion themselves uh, for, for human factors related things. Um, and then if it, if it still continues to be a problem, I'll be a little bit more direct and say, hey, you know, uh, some of the data that I've collected on this would suggest that they probably need this over here. Uh, and then, you know, provide a little bit more background and data, but subtle nudges first. Um, and again, it's all about explaining the why, right? Well, why do they? Why do we need to move that thing over there? Organize these in a certain way. Well, it's because the user's workflow is exactly you know you you were on those calls. You saw what happened, and that's another strategic thing I'm doing too. Is I'm including my team that's not human factors people. I'm including them on these like usability studies so that way they get to see the process firsthand. Um, you know, inclusion goes a long way. Making sure they're part of that process so that way when uh, I come back later and say, yeah, you were there, you saw it. I can, you know, it's it's an extra tool in my belt that I can just kind of throw and say, yeah, this that should be that way. <laughs> yeah, I don't I mean, know. That's a really good approach too. I mean, you've you've basically knocked that one out of the park because you're doing a really good job of it. Sounds like educating people and not just letting yeah. them kind of like have because I I don't know. You and I've worked with people throughout our careers or in the past that kind of give you the it is what it is answer to questions versus Never. the Never. the why and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that's I really mean, for, cool. Yeah, for for me, it's always been about the why, right? Why why are you suggesting it to be that way? I just want to understand what's going on in your head or what data that you have that I don't have that that led you to that conclusion. And so I'm trying my best to pay that forward and say I came to this conclusion because of X, Y, and Z, and be very logical about it and hope that other people follow that same logic. And if they don't, um, you know, we can have a conversation about it. And that's why it's so important to um, kind of show your work and show your thought process to where you get to, because otherwise people don't get those leaps in logic unless you spell it out for them. Got to do your homework. As someone Absolutely. once told me. <laughs> someone once told you. That's awesome. All right. Anything else, Blake? Not really, man. I think, I think you really covered a lot of good ground on that specific one. Um, 
it's I don't know I enjoy talking to people that don't do the same thing that I do because it feels like it gives me a fresh perspective yeah um, so I, I think what I, I if I was gonna add one more thing it was just kind of being open to the person you're working with or the yeah. different department you're working with because I think you'll ultimately pick up some things you didn't have and put them in your toolbox like like they will from you so yeah and I, I think uh, humility goes a long way too right like um, adding on to that one more thing one more thing is that you know uh, I was told this once and I've never stopped believing it. It's that, you know, some, whoever you talk to knows at least one thing that you don't. Um, and so try to find it. And, and, you know, if that, especially when it comes to working on something together, if they know something that you don't, that's another piece of information that you now have that you can make decisions on the thing for. All right. With that, let's get out of here. That's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the news story this week. If you want, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us on any of our social channels at H Factors Podcast. If you like what you hear, uh, you can support the show. You can leave us a review on your podcast medium of choice. Consider supporting us on Patreon or, you know what, just let somebody else know about the show. Uh, anything helps. And of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com, and now streaming on YouTube. I want to thank Mr. Blake Arnsdorf for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about where you got all the hot graphics for this show? Oh, man. You can find me in the Human Factors Cast Slack, always at Blake, but you can also find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.